This is Brown's Digest. What's going on, Dog Pound? Hope you guys are hungry. We are back with the Brown's Digest podcast. Episode 7 and NFL Draft Week is officially here. So it's only right that we start off the week with a full first round mock draft. If you're on Twitter, Facebook, I'm pretty sure you've seen an abundance of mock drafts. NFL Network, every analyst, any draft expert has all put their thoughts and opinions out on the internet. And of course, fans alike do what they believe is best for their teams in their mock drafts. But before we get into that, my first question as always, Pete, how you doing today? Uh, I'm good. I'm ready for the draft to uh, get going. Um I did my last mock draft for the year. I know you did your one mock draft. Uh, so we're both sort of done. So uh, from that standpoint, I think we're both sort of ready to get this thing rolling. Yeah. So before we hop into it, um, I took a look at your mock draft uh, this morning. And first, I would like to ask, what was your thought process when it came to one um, trading within the draft board, and then also, I believe you took up to three cornerbacks, or was it only two? I took three. Three. So you want to kind of explain your thought process with the trading and the reason why you decided to take three cornerbacks? So uh, the draft to me is not great overall, and I think the Browns may specifically. Uh, the last two mock drafts I did both involved a trade up uh, from. Uh, the second round area rather than the first. But I think uh, uh, if, if the, the, like the two big needs for the Browns are, are pass rusher and corner in how, whatever order you want to put them in. And I feel like whether it's the first two picks or the first three picks, I think they're want to, they're going to want to get guys who they really like for that. Uh, and, and when you don't have as many uh, talented players in a draft class, there's more incentive to go up and get your guy. Um, so in the draft I did, uh, I sort of came up with the notion that basically the Browns will be sort of kept out of getting the, the top corners and top edge rushers they want. So they take a receiver in Rashad Bateman. That doesn't change the fact that they still need to address pass rusher and corner. So one of the guys I think is a really, really good fit for the Browns is Peyton Turner. I think he does everything the Browns seem to like in their defensive ends because he can play inside, he can play outside, he's really athletic and all those things. I don't know if the Browns can wait around for him at 59. Uh, they may want to go up and get him, but whether it is trading the, th the extra third and extra fourth because they want to move up from 59 or they want to trade maybe like I did both thirds and one of those fourths and use those to move up into the second round, they go ahead and get, uh, they get him and then they still have the 59th pick. And then I took Paulson Adebo, 
who I really like. I don't know if the Browns will love him, but he's just really, really talented. Uh, ball skills, uh, just a playmaker. But he's raw because he's still a wide receiver transitioning to corner, and it looks at it at times. But the thought process behind taking three corners is pretty simple. The Browns don't have any depth at all. Their next guy up right now, if if you started the season, the starters would be Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams on the boundary and Troy Hill in the slot. Um, if either of those corners get hurt, which has happened uh, every year, um, your next man up is some comp- either it could be uh, A.J. Green, it could be Brian Allen, it could be back to Robert Jackson. You know, they don't have – any depth. Terrence Mitchell is in Houston. Um, so they need everything. So um, I think they're going to take a real effort to make sure they get uh, many corners to be able to, whether that's veterans or draft picks or whatever. So Paulson Adebo, you know, he's really talented. Maybe he'll be ready to come out and play immediately. Maybe he won't, but the other two, um, I took uh, Nate Hobbs in the seventh round from Illinois. And I took uh, Darren Hall from San Diego state who the Browns have had for a visit. And they're both more upside plays uh, than anything. They're good athletes. Uh, They had production in college. They're in various uh, states of being developed. Um, Nate Hobbs needs, has, needs a lot of work, but he's, he's 21 and a freakish athlete who's productive, good size, 200 pounds. And then Darren Hall is only 20, but he's very physically capable, uh, doesn't offer much length, but I think both guys can potentially play in the slot, can definitely play in the boundary. And if they hit then, or, you know, whatever, they both potentially have Pro Bowl upside based on, you know, data and historical trends. Uh, but more than anything, it means that if the Browns get into a situation like last year, they're not going to go into a playoff game with Robert Jackson, a corner and nothing against Robert Jackson, but he's a gunner for a reason. And they did win the game with him, uh, both games he started, but uh, they want to be able to do more in terms of coverages. They don't want to just have to sit in quarters or, you know, most conservative zones possible because they can't trust anybody in coverage. So they need to get more dudes, uh, more younger guys and develop them. Yeah, so taking as many swings as possible is definitely a good approach in terms of finding quality depth for that secondary group, namely at cornerback. Boundary corner is definitely a position I expect them to address, which is an important need for them. Rather it be moving up in the first round or say if a certain player that they're looking for slides and they think they can get him at the top of the second, moving down the draft board, however it may be you know, feasible for them. But if there was a position that I believed they would double dip in, would be cornerback just because there's more pressing needs for quality depth. Just because, again, you don't know necessarily what you have outside of really MJ Stewart, who's, you know, a lower quality, you know, backup option. So as we get into this mock draft, it's going to be similar to a lot of ones you've seen on the internet. We're going to go through all 32 picks in the first round. There is the ability to trade up, trade down, however, you know, a GM maybe see fit. Now, in this situation, this isn't what we believe the teams will do in real life. I mean, that could be part of the thought process, but this is what we would do in terms of if we were the GM for that particular team. So as we go throughout the draft board, I will be doing all the odd picks. 
So one, three, five, and so on and so forth. And then Pete will have all of the even number picks, two, four, six, etc. And um, as we go forth throughout some different things, obviously some picks will be pretty obvious. And then um, some decisions will kind of talk through and give some different scenarios of how it could potentially affect the Browns as we get later um, into the draft. So starting it off, everyone pretty much knows the draft doesn't really start until three, um, at least in my opinion. So number one overall, Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, without a doubt, they take Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. They need a franchise quarterback. Urban Meyer is coming to the NFL as a head coach because of what he sees in Trevor Lawrence. Some people say he's the best prospect since Andrew Luck came out of college. I mean, even if that is the case, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to have to build around him. Just overall, the Jaguars aren't that same team that we saw back in 2017 when they made it to AFC Championship. Uh, there's a lot of pieces. They did get LaVisca Chenault last year in the first round along with C.J. Henderson. So they do have a little bit of talent that they're starting to build off of. But this is still, you know, a, a rebuild that's already broken down to the studs. And we're really going to see how much Trevor Lawrence can do where he's not just surrounded by immense talent everywhere on the field and now being at the NFL level. Yeah. Uh, so number two, the Jets take Zach Wilson. Um, uh, I don't think he's necessarily the most talented quarterback available here, but the other quarterback options, in my view, need to sit. And the Jets have not put themselves in a position to do that. So if you have to play somebody, Zach Wilson's the only other quarterback I think they can come in and play right now. Uh, he does have incredible arm talent. Uh, obviously, he he did benefit immensely from the protection he had uh, at BYU. But, you know, he can throw the hell out of the ball. And if the Jets continue to build their offensive line, maybe they can, rec rec can recreate some of that. Uh, we shall see. Yeah, uh, Wilson's ability to make plays out of the pocket, I think, could be a benefit for him. It may get him in a little bit trouble early on in the season, but we don't necessarily know what their protection is going to be like up front um, for the Jets. So I, I think Zach Wilson is a decent pick. Now, number three, this has obviously been the biggest conversation point, you know, leading up to the draft in terms of what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are going to do at number three after trading up. For me, I don't think Mac Jones is the player that you want to bet, you know, basically future picks and a situation where you're really, I would say, getting a limit, limited upgrade from Jimmy Garoppolo if you decide to pick Mac Jones, just because, I mean, they're a similar player, but really the issue isn't Jimmy Garoppolo has been necessarily playing bad. He just hasn't stayed healthy. So if I'm in a situation where I want to upgrade the position, I think the smartest thing to do is take the best quarterback on the board. And in my opinion, that's Justin Fields. And uh, I think that's who they should take at number three. But I wouldn't be surprised if they take Mac Jones. Yeah, I think the 49ers will take Trey Lance. Um, that's, who, uh, that's who I'm betting on for that. I think sanity will reign again and no one will ever trade three first round picks to bet their career on Mac Jones, but we'll see. Uh, so Atlanta. Oh, this is tough. It, it, on, on one hand, uh, if it's true that they are in the market to shop Julio Jones, maybe they're sort of, uh, you know, getting ready to sort of move on and you could take a quarterback and you could let him sit behind Matt Ryan for a little while. That doesn't necessarily have to be just one year. They're, you know, Steve McNair, for example, this is going back a ways, sat for three seasons um, or, or most of three seasons. 
Um, so they could certainly take a quarterback. Uh, the other option is they could take what amounts to be the uh, – uh, is to take Kyle Pitts, who is the best player in the whole class. Um, so that's that's kind of where we're at. So – I mean, trading back is is an option if if need be. I think that's their best suit of action just because their defense is so atrocious. I mean, you're four and twelve. Like Kyle Pitts isn't going to take you, you know, into a better position, especially in NFC South. I mean, yeah, you don't know what the Saints are going to do, but yeah, I, I would want to trade that's back. Fine. Here's the thing: uh, Matt Ryan is fine. I don't believe that Matt Ryan makes you compete. So I'm going to take Trey Lance. Uh, you can sit for a couple of years, potentially, maybe one, maybe multiple. Um, you can eventually move on from Matt Ryan, maybe recoup some of that value. But I don't know if the Falcons are going to be back in a position to get this type of player. Trey Lance has the ability to be a superstar quarterback, uh, catered to properly, uh, physically dominant, all those good, all those things that are, are valuable. And Atlanta, you know, say what you will about their defense and everything. They are really well set up to sort of take a quarterback like this and develop him. So we'll see. I, I know part of the whole mindset in the NFL nowadays is to, you know, maximize that rookie contract as quickly as possible. And, you know, that may be fine after a year, but take advantage of Matt Ryan while you have him, but develop this kid while, uh, to become something special afterward. I think that's a good plan for Atlanta. Um, I feel like it's going to be tough to see them do that just because I feel like it may be a little bit of negative reaction from the fan base. But long term, I think Trey Lance at four would probably be like the best option for him, obviously, if he's available. Just because, one, he only has limited he has limited game tape, only one year as a starter, and then he also played in the FCS. Um, but, I mean, a lot of analysts think he's the most talented quarterback um, that would be available after one, so... I mean, I don't mind it if, you know, you can figure out a way how to kind of move off of Matt Ryan's contract after a few years. But, you know, he's getting paid a lot of money. But, you know, who knows how long Jordan Love is going to sit before, you know, Aaron Rodgers either goes to another team or retires. So it's better to have a succession plan in place than not. So at five, the Bengals kind of face the situation of do we give Joe Burrow a weapon in terms of like Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts. Um, and then also like there's that argument of Panay Sewell. Yeah, you want to protect him, but I feel like in this situation, if he's arguably the best player available in the entire draft, if I'm sitting there at five and I'm the Bengals, I think I would have to take Kyle Pitts just because you don't know, you know, what tight end prospects are going to come, you know, in the next coming years. And also, too, the rest of the tight end group isn't that good. So at five, I'm going to take Kyle Pitts. Yeah, that's what it would be. I, that's the only player I would take if I'm the Bengals over Penny Sewell. That's it. Um, so uh, the Dolphins at six. Um, everything about them was trying to get positioned to a weapon. They've taken offensive linemen. It's debatable if any of them are any good, but they've at least drafted them. So they'll go ahead and jump on the opportunity to take Jamar Chase, the wide receiver from LSU. And, uh, you know, despite how weirdly negative people are on Tua Tonga by Aloha, they have a lot of weapons, um, especially now. You've got Will Fuller. You've got 
the tight end uh, from Penn State, I really like. I can't think of his name offhand. That I wanted the Browns to make a receiver. Uh, you've got now Jamar Chase. You've got a lot of weapons for for that offense for Tonga Vailoa to uh, sort of take a big step forward in year two. Healthier should be a major major difference for him. But he, you know, Jamar Chase has the has the a great argument to be the best wide receiver in this class. Um, and I think, you know, he can be a, a superstar type player. Uh, we'll see if he gets quite to that level, but at the very least, it sets the Dolphins up right now. who do have a, a case to be a Super Bowl team. If Tua is as, a, you know, if he, if he takes that major step forward, they could be a real dangerous team uh, in the AFC East. Maybe, you know, maybe they may only be a wild card team, but once you get in, you've got a shot and, if Tua it has sort of like a similar arc as Baker Mayfield did last year, where maybe he's, he's iffy or it doesn't look great for six games or so, and then you know you get on a run late and carry that into the playoffs, you can do some damage. Yeah, um, I like the Dolphins. I think overall this is really, and I don't want to say just a year. I think they probably give Tua a couple years, and this now this time they don't have Ryan Fitzpatrick to kind of you know, yank and pull him. You pretty much get a full 16-game season, granted that he stays healthy. But I think that's probably the best course of action for them to really see what they have out of Tua. So at seven, there's the Detroit Lions. And this one is tough, given how the board may actually fall in real life. But so they need a receiver or offensive tackle. And in this situation, I know a lot of people have seen either Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith. But in this situation, if I can get Panay Sewell, if he's still on the board at seven, I hop all over that. Just because when you look at Jared Goff, who's now the quarterback there, when the LA Rams made a run to the Super Bowl, they had a solid run game, of course, behind Todd Gurley. But the most important thing that I noticed while I was living in California, a lot of Rams fans will always say, the only time that Jared Goff will perform well is when he had time in the pocket. And one of the things that he dealt with the most was obviously interior pressure. Now, in this situation, um, Panay Sewell sounds really uh Panay Sewell sounds really good, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they drafted Rashawn Slater to protect the interior for Jared Goff, but I'm gonna go Panay Sewell at seven. Fair enough. Uh so I've got the uh Panthers eight. Um obviously they made the move to get Sam Darnold. They're still hoping to be able to trade uh Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know how successful that will be. Um, they could they could add an offensive lineman. Uh, I don't think they're bad necessarily at that spot, but they're not great. But the one thing they don't have right now is corner help, and I think they're going to make a big splash here. Uh, some people like Sertan better. I personally like J.C. Horn better. I think he's going to be the pick here. Uh, they get you know what could be a superstar talent in J.C. Horn uh, that uh, they can start really building that back end in. J.C. Horn at eight. Actually, I mean, I don't mind that at all, especially given that if Sewell's off the board and you necessarily don't have, I feel like you don't have a quarterback that's worthy of a trade up for a team. I mean, you look at the Broncos, they could take like Mac Jones, but if you have four quarterbacks coming off the board in your first four picks, you, you might as well just stay pat and either take Slater or take the best corner on the board. Um, if you're Carolina. So I, I, I like that. So at nine, um, 
I know they talk a lot about the Broncos needing a quarterback, but in the situation that Justin Fields or Trey Lance doesn't slide, um, I still don't believe in all this Mac Jones hype. Yes, he's a more efficient quarterback than Drew Locke, but I mean, you spent the second round pick on him. You might as well see what you have out of him. So in that situation, I think you take arguably the most valuable uh, defensive player on the board and you need help at linebacker. So at nine, I'm going to take Michael Parsons out of Penn State. A lot of character questions with Michael Parsons. Yeah, I mean, but also too, you, you see it every year. There's players, you know, that have some character questions. If you get him in the right situation and you make sure you have the right people around him, I feel like that's something that, you know, you can deal with. Uh, that's it's yeah, it's your ass, not mine. I, I <laughs> uh, all right, so I got Dallas. Oof. you know, Dallas probably doesn't love this situation, however, um, they're gonna, you know, they, they need everything on defense, but the thing they're gonna jump on here is Patrick Sertan. Uh, you know, it's it's valuable in their division. Um, you know, they need somebody to help stop anything Dallas played no defense last year uh, and it went just as well as you would expect it to uh, Pat- Patrick Sertan is a fantastic corner and it has the benefit of really sticking it to the Eagles who are also clearly in the market for corner help and now they can't get it uh, so that's a big advantage for them in that sense uh, some people are uh, suggesting that Philadelphia might try to trade up to like nine just to make sure they they can get one. But uh, yeah, big win for Dallas getting Sertan here. Yeah, uh, I think Sertan is probably almost a lock um, unless they have a better evaluation of J.C. Horn um, for Sertan Sertan to go at 10 to Dallas. And I just think overall this whole 10 through 12 just looks weird to me because you either could see a situation where you see – two receivers come off the board at 11 and 12 with the Giants and the Eagles. Or you could see just cornerbacks come off the board. And, you know, obviously that's one of the things that affects the Browns. Because, uh, I mean, if you can't get one of the top four, you know, I feel like there's no reason to reach at 26 for uh, a cornerback. But um, staying on the task at hand, when I look at the Giants roster, I mean, you already have Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard, and obviously they need some speed. But just given that you already kind of have Slayton, I would want a receiver that's a little bit just more solid and just, uh, I mean, a burner. So I would take Jalen Waddle over Devontae Smith in the situation for the Giants just because I feel like he offers a little bit more pop as a position. He may not be as good of a route runner as Devontae Smith, but I think the vertical threat that Daniel Jones needs in this offense, he can get it from Jalen Waddle. Okay, uh, Philadelphia. The other thing uh, they seem to want, um, based on the moves they've been making, would be wide receiver. Question for them entirely is going to be, are they worried about Devontae Smith's size? or and, and if they are, do they go with somebody else in that vein? So maybe it comes down to Devontae Smith and Rashad Bateman. Uh, if 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 that's the decision for them, they have at least some experience with dealing with undersized receivers. 
I think they're going to go ahead. You know, what would I do? Oof, that's a tough question. I don't think I would take Devontae Smith, but uh, I think they will. So I'll go ahead and give the Eagles Devontae Smith. I don't know if a receiver is really in their best interest because I don't know that Jalen Hurts is the answer, but if they're going to go this route, they at least need to give him a fighting chance. So they'll go that route. And this is a dream scenario for the Chargers. Yeah. Um, so 13, I feel like it's pretty obvious of who they'll go with. Um, now, also to the question of Rashawn Slater in terms of is he a guard, is he a tackle? could see i know it's a stretch christian derisaw just because he is like a for certain a tackle prospect um but i'm gonna kind of go with they'll know what they're going to do by the time training camp comes around and figure out where he's best suited and uh the chargers take rashawn slater at 13. they should uh so minnesota um I think I think this is where the quitty paid dream dies for the Browns. I think um, he is an outstanding talent. Uh, I think he's a guy where this you know his star is rising. I think he's he's sort of just starting to hit his stride and all the things he's capable of doing. I think for what the Vikings want to do, particularly with the amount of nose tackles they seem to have on their defense, it's basically Daniel Hunter and nothing else. So I do think Quiddy Pay is the best fit for what that defense wants to do. He can theoretically play up and down the line if they can get more guys in the field. But I, I do think Quiddy Pay is exactly what the Vikings want. Yeah, I think Quiddy, the only situation that I see Quiddy Pay not going to them at 14 is if something like a trade up and I don't know, the Chargers take like a corner or something based off of how the board falls. But unless unless Rashawn Slater doesn't go 13, I think that's the only situation that we don't see Quiddy Pay come off at 14. Um, now at 15, the Patriots, truth be told, and, and again, I know we're kind of going based off what we have. I still think they make a trade up. Um, with who, that remains to be known. But, if there's a say, if Atlanta takes Kyle Pitts at four, and we see Trey Lance and um, or I don't even want to say Trey Lance, if if we see Justin Fields and Mac Jones slide, I think the Patriots move up. But in the situation that he's still on the board for our mock draft, um, I think it's pretty obvious that at 15 they take Mac Jones and then finally have a long-term answer after uh, this season. If that's what you think Mac Jones is. I mean, he, he doesn't scream franchise quarterback, but let's also be honest. Belichick is a system-based coach. He understands, you know, this is the role. This is the type of impact that I'm going to expect from this player. Would I expect Belichick to lean on Mac Jones to have to throw 30, 40 times a game? Not necessarily, but also given the type of offense that they're running with Cam Newton, you don't want him throwing the ball 30 times a game either. So yeah, there's a situation where you have to get a more stud running back and making sure that your offensive line is still stellar. If you can do those two, you have a strong run game. 
You have a good defense. I mean, they still, for the moment, have Stephon Gilmore. They're getting a lot of players back outside of Patrick Chung, of players that opted out last season. They got Matt Judon. I mean, the defense should be better. Um, but if we're just talking long term, I, I don't think they see that out of out of Cam Newton. And I don't really see there's going to be a situation where they'll be this high in the draft unless they, unless they completely stink over the next three, four years. I mean, what other player could really satisfy what they really have the biggest question mark at, which is quarterback. Fair enough. I think he stinks, but that's fine. Um, so Arizona 16, this is where I think um, it becomes, uh, you know, sphincters start uh, shrinking up for Browns, Browns fans who are hoping for a corner. I think the uh, Cardinals are going to jump on Greg Newsom here. Um, they need corner help. Obviously, they just lost uh, Patrick Peterson, um, but they're trying to win now. They didn't sign J.J. Watt for, you know, long term. They need guys that can help them now. Whether or not Greg Newsom can step in and, and play at a high level, unclear, but they have to get something that can step in and play. So Greg Newsom, they have major holes at corner that defense needs to be more consistent than anything. But uh, Greg Newsom certainly seems like a guy that, that fits what they want to do. And uh, they're going to go ahead and, and try to help their secondary. Yeah. Uh, and then right after them at 17 is the Raiders. And I've seen mock drafts of where you see them take either Caleb Farley or Greg Newsom, whoever's the fourth corner left on the board at this point. And, Given their needs, any offensive tackle, interior defensive lineman, linebacker, and safety, I personally just don't see them having to, and I guess it's not even a reach if you're talking about Caleb, Caleb Farley in this situation, but their defense overall just needs so much help. And I don't think John Gruden will just sit there and pass over Jeremiah owosu Komora just because of the versatility that he could provide on that defense. They did re-sign Carl Joseph, so that kind of gives them some safety depth. But, I mean, he is more of a traditional box safety. But I feel like that versatility you can get out of JOK is something they could utilize more than just a corner, given what else is on the roster. And also, too, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved down a little bit to feel more comfortable taking like a Tevin Jenkins um, to give them a tackle option. But in this situation, they stay pat and they take JOK. Okay. This is an interesting spot for the Dolphins because they may have jumped on uh, Jock themselves. Uh, with that being out of the way, the Dolphins, uh, let's see, they could use – a few different things. Edge is a big problem for them. It's a question of do they really want to go this early? And I think they do. So for them, um, with the deep style of defense they play, I think uh, they're going to take uh, Aziz Ojolari from Georgia. I think he checks a lot of boxes for them. He's super young. Uh, he they, they, they employ a stand-up edge. Uh, he's got those long arms. He's productive. Uh, you know, he still may be ascending in terms of his talent because he is so young. 
but he's got a lot of pass rush skills that I think would be attractive to them. Um, they obviously let go of uh, Kyle Van Noy this offseason, and they traded um, Shaq, uh, what's his face, to the, the to the Houston Texans. So Shaq Lawson. So they're going to go ahead and, and reload and put Ojolari in the mix along with uh, some of these other guys, including Emmanuel Agba, and try to upgrade the front seven of the defense because they're back seven. Sure, they could add talent at safety, but their corners are exceptional, so they just want to try to get more pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, I like Ojalar to them at uh, 18 just because, again, what he kind of fits. And I feel like you've seen that more often, not the, I just want to say, the Patriots defense since Brian Flores was the assistant defensive coordinator when he was in New England, is that they utilize stand-up edge rushers more than a player with their hand in the dirt. Um, I mean, you can even look at Trey Flowers, who was arguably one of their better pass rushers that went off to free agency with the Detroit Lions. He was a basically a defensive end that keeps his hand in the dirt. So I like Ojalar to them at 18. 19, Washington. Hmm. So they definitely need some offensive line help. I don't think quarterback is really in the question. I mean, they're pretty much all off the board at this point. But, yeah. I feel like Washington is such a weird team because they also signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. So, like, what's their long-term view? Mm, looking at the board. Uh, this is tough. Mm. All right. I'm going to shake it up a little bit. I'm going to take Trevon Morig out of TCU. I just think getting the best safety prospect that's in this draft class, you still can find good value at offensive tackle. Like, I feel at 19, it's kind of a stretch to take Tevin Jenkins. Um, Oh, but Christian Darisaw is still on the board, too. He is indeed. Actually, I'm going to take Darisaw. I had to relook at my board. I'm glad that I did. Yeah, I mean, the only question is, yeah, I mean, Washington, they they do have Scherf. Um, I think is it Morgan Moses still there? But they they do need more help there. Uh, so I, I would I would say Darius would be their best move. I, I would have no problem with them adding more. I've I've already considered him uh, myself for for a team uh, because I think he's just that good. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's probably the most reasonable choice uh for for what they do i mean it, basically the argument for taking a guy like morig is that look they lead with their defense already why mess with it just keep adding to it and making it better yeah uh bears 20 um oh they could go a couple different options i think they would really like to get a corner um the bears are notoriously conservative I, don't I won't be surprised if they take receiver first. Like the first receiver off the board comes off to them just because they don't really have anyone else. Um, who's their starting receiver right now? Well, um, oh, they just franchised has him. Allen Robinson. Yeah, he's he's I think he's I think he's pretty good. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I don't think there's a situation where he resigns. So if you don't have him after next season, most of the or well, you don't have any quarterback to take and at offensive tackle. 
most of the talent that you will want to get, I would say it's mostly in the second round or at the back end of the first. And if you have your pick of the top, what, four, fifth receiver, I would much rather take that versus an awesome tackle to reach on. Who is their quarterback? Nick Foles. So I don't care about receivers. <laughs> no, sorry. Andy Dalton. Yeah, so I don't care about receiver. <laughs> I'm not, I don't care. So for me, um, I do care about blocking. Uh, so for me, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and grab Tevin Jenkins. I think he's, again, I think the Bears are, are, are notoriously conservative. Uh, they just lost Rashad Coward in free agency to the Steelers, which is, I really do think is a good good pickup for the Steelers. But Tevin Jenkins is a big, mean man, physical. Like he, he's everything the Bears sort of envisioned themselves to be. I think he's he's a, just a, a good player uh, that, that makes them better. Uh, and, and obviously they like to run the ball, but, um, they may go sort of a bigger wild card type pick because, uh, you know, everybody's probably not likely to come back next year, but I think that's the more uh, responsible choice for them. And if it's, if it's me controlling things, I would take, uh, Tevin Jenkins. I think he's a good player. I know he's older 23, you know, relatively speaking older, but I do think he's going to be a good player for a long time. Uh, and that's ultimately what I think a lot of this draft is going to be get good players because they're, you know, this draft is relatively limited. I like that. Um, so the Colts at 21, I could see this as a, based off how the board is kind of falling. I could see maybe someone behind the Browns at 26, maybe the Ravens, uh, potentially the bills moving up for an edge. Uh, I mean, you do still see Jalen Phillips on the board. Um, you also have Jason Owe. But just given they only signed T.Y. Hilton to a one-year deal, and given the receiver talent that's available, this is also kind of in to you know spite you a little bit. Twenty-one, uh, I think Rashad Bateman uh, could be the could be the receiver that the Colts take at twenty-one and give. Uh, Carson Wentz some help on the outside. Devil's advocate, you don't think uh, that uh, the kid they Michael Pittman is enough? I I, I think he's a, a good receiver, but I think long term they want someone else to really replace T.Y. Hilton rather than sign him for you know two three more years just because he's getting a little bit older. Okay, Rashad Bateman, it is. I mean, do you think there's a situation where they don't take a receiver? I mean, based off the offensive lineman that's already off the board, I would say receiver is, is a better value for them than potentially corner, unless they really like Caleb Farley. But I just feel like they need more receiver help because T.Y. Hilton is pretty much gone after this season. Um, yeah, I, look, they, they have a few things going on there. Uh they could absolutely use more help on the interior. I don't know if this is a team that's, you know, I don't think Barmore is good enough, um, but they're, they're a team that would may theoretically entertain that option. I mean, they, they need more pass rush help really than anything else. Um, and, and, you know, th th that may not be there for them. So, I mean, Bateman is sort of a, a safer uh, pick in, in some ways than that. Um if they don't like any of the offensive tackles, obviously that's going to be their big thing. Do they feel like they have to go uh, and take one now, or do they feel like they get one a little later? So, I mean, Bateman is more than defensible. I just really like Michael Pittman. Um, so anyway, Bateman, Tennessee. So the bears, they were notoriously conservative. The Titans are pretty, 
fatigue risk, uh, willing to take risks. Um, obviously, they did with Jeffrey Simmons, who was in, coming off uh, a uh, injury situation, uh, in addition to some character issues. Uh, one of the big needs that the, the Tennessee Titans have uh, is corner. I think this is where Caleb Farley is going to go. Um, they, they, you know, I think they need to upgrade their talent. They didn't stop anybody last year. The Browns were a great example of that. Um, they were downright awful. So I think Caleb Farley, you know, if, if you're okay with his medical, his tape is exceptional, uh, especially his, his, uh, his, uh, junior season, um, where he was just outstanding. He shut people down. He's got size. Uh, he's got tremendous instincts. His patience is unbelievable. So I think Tennessee, you know, obviously it's not that they're just going to be like risk of, uh, willing to take risks and go, well, he's injured. We're, we're okay with that. But obviously they'll, they'll check him out. But I do think Caleb Farley, uh, if he's healthy, the Titans are one of the teams that would absolutely take a look at him. So they'll go ahead and grab him. Yeah, uh, 22 and my only mock draft that I did is where I had the Browns taking J.C. Horn because they had slid at the time. But for me, I guess the realistic pick was Caleb Farley and being able to move at 22-1 because you get ahead of the Jets. Um, and also just because I believe the Titans would be the team to take Farley as well if he's there at 22 um, so for me, that's a little bit disappointing, uh, just given, you know, what I want the Browns to do at 26, but looking at 23, you have the Jets again, uh, they have the Seahawks pick, and with that, they've already taken a quarterback, so really your needs that you have left over are corner, edge, and running back, and receiver, so running back, I would say it's almost entirely off the board, just because they pick so high in the second round, and you can pretty much have your pick of Travis Etienne, or um Najee Harris depending on what the Jaguars do but um I would say in this situation where you only have two edge rushers off the board in Quiddy Pay and Aziz Ojalari I would take Jalen Phillips in this situation but also two someone like uh Terrace Marshall I wouldn't be surprised if they take a flyer on him just because of the developmental traits that he has and he could potentially become a number one receiver and you can have Zach Wilson have a weapon that he can grow with as he goes throughout his career. But I think Jalen Phillips is a smarter move here. Yes, there's some questions regarding his health um, given the concussion history that he has, but the talent and his overall skill set, I feel like it's something that's worth banking on, especially, you know, later in the first round. Okay. Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, punter, big need for them. They're going to, no, I mean, uh, look, <laughs> the thing with the Steelers is, you know, their fans and, and, and even the team is talking like they're going to be more than content to take a running back. And that would likely point to Najee Harris. Me, I'm not a crazy person, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, so to me, I think your best bet if you're the Steelers is to do one thing, uh, which is to address your offensive line um, and get younger. So, uh, you know, offensive tackle, it seems like the Steelers are okay with their situation there. I don't love it, but 
their best play may, may be to go ahead and just address guard. Um, it, I, obviously, they've got uh, one very good one still. Uh, but the other one is, I think, more than upgradable. Um, so they're going to go ahead and take Elijah, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker from USC um, and try to, you know, get more physical up front. Yeah, I could see that as a move. And they definitely need to get, you know, some more dogs up on that interior offensive line, hopefully to help out their run game, uh, which was putrid last year. So 24 picks in so far, um, no trades. So 25, you have the Jaguars. They've already taken Trevor Lawrence. So in this situation, all the best offensive tackle prospects for the most part in terms of the first round off the board. So I'll probably say receiver um, or safety could be in play. Hmm. Well, given the rest of the board, I mean, they do pick at the top of the second round. But when you look at pretty much every team after them, the Browns need a receiver, the Ravens need a receiver, the Saints, the Packers, the Bills, um, the Bucks potentially. If I'm in a situation where I'm picking at the top of second round, I would much rather take a risk that Trevon Morig isn't taken at 27 or 31 or by the Browns. but And I would take a top receiver. So in this situation... Um, I'm going to do what I thought would could potentially be in the Jets' best interest outside of Jalen Phillips, and that's take Terrace Marshall and give uh, Trevor Lawrence some help. Okay, you're you're happy with that? Well, I mean, there's there is other receiver prospects, you know, that you could take, but again, the Jaguars aren't in a situation where they're one player. Hell, even three players away from really being competitive. So in this situation, I want to take talent that's that can develop and, you know, be a potentially a high-end starter, you know, two seasons from now where you fully know this is what Trevor Lawrence has done for us thus far. You already have LaViscus Chenault, so you have potentially up to three receiving options for Trevor Lawrence. And obviously, the more you have, the better, you know, your chances of having productive offense and... I mean, in the situation that he was the number one receiver at LSU in 2020, you know, he stepped up to the bill. And again, they're, they're going to stink. So there's no situation where, like, he has to come in and just have gaudy numbers, you know, just tear it up every single week. This is a situation where you want to take your time and make sure you get the right pieces around you. And if there's someone that has the right traits that I'm looking for, I would rather take that a receiver, you know, rather than risking, you know, say if I take Trevon Morig. All the other receivers could potentially come off between 26 and 32 before I get to pick again um, at the top of round two. I just don't see how, uh, one, I, I don't rule the Browns out for taking Maury. And two, I don't see how Maury gets through the Ravens twice. And, and, and like I said, I mean, that's that's a chance You know, I'm willing to take just because there's so many receiver needy teams after me. And if I have the pick of, you know, the second rated safety or pretty much any other position at the top of the second round, I feel like that's a better problem to have than I need to get a receiver and three more came off the board, you know, after I didn't take one at 25. Okay, so Terrace Marshall for you? Yeah. Okay, the Browns. So this is the situation they don't want to be in. All the corners 
uh, all the all the sort of early early corners are off the board. All of the early edge rushers are off the board. So it becomes: Do you, you know, uh, trying to invest for the future, which is what Andrew Barry's thing is? Do you take a safety in Trevon Murray uh, to continue to in, in, embolden that position? Give yourself options in case with Grant Delpit's Achilles, with Ronnie Harrison uh, on the last year of his deal, or do you? add more offensive firepower, uh, keeping in mind that, you know, you're going to have to sort of plan for life after at least one of the LSU receivers. Um, based on what's here, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take Elijah Moore, wide receiver from Ole Miss. Um, so uh, to me, he is out, an outstanding receiver uh, that really fits well in the Browns offense um, because they run double tights. Um, it makes it so a player like Elijah Moore is always off the line of scrimmage. They can motion him all over the place. Uh, he's shown to be more than intelligent enough to do that in all the different ways that Ole Miss has done that, uh, you know, to get him the ball, all these things. The Browns have taken a player featured in a Lane Kiffin offense before. They took, uh, they took Harrison Bryant when Lane Kiffin was at Florida Atlantic last year. Uh, and he, you know, it was the same thing. They just kept finding ways to, to put him in position to make plays. Elijah Moore is a significantly better prospect, uh, offers all the toughness and, you know, balance and yards after the catch that you could want. But he also offers a pure speed element that the Browns need more of. So he can, you know, most people try to describe him as a slot receiver only. Um, I don't, I think he's more than capable of lining up outside, but particularly in a Kevin Stefanski offense where you can motion him all over the place, create matchup uh, situations that are beneficial. I think he's a fantastic player. Bateman's not on the board. Uh, so Elijah Moore to me is the best option here. Okay. Um, so before we move on to 27, I guess two questions and one's really more of a scenario. Um, why receiver over say someone like Jason Owe or well, I guess that's really the top, probably the best defensive end option you have. Is it on the board? That's the problem. I don't think it is. Um, if I if I was saying. If you're asking me who's a better prospect between Jason Owe and Joseph Asai, I'm going to take Joseph Asai. Um, he's not quite as athletically gifted as Owe, but he actually tackled people on the other team with the ball on their hands behind the line of scrimmage intending to throw, which seems kind of important to me. Uh, I, I, like, I get all the advanced stats on that, uh, I, I, but production is part of potential. Um, and Joseph Asai has it. Um, there are more questions about his agility because he didn't test it, but uh, in terms of the kid, in terms of the, the way he plays, in terms of like um, all those intangibles that the Browns say they, they love about players, I think Osai fits those to a T. So to me, between Osai and Owe, I'd take Osai. Um, I'm not sure the Browns wouldn't consider Gregory Rousseau. Um, but that I, it just, I wish I felt better about him after the athletic testing. His tape is tremendous at 19 years old. I think he's really good in that sense. 
standpoint. But again, I don't feel good enough about them in that. I mean, if I didn't take Elijah Moore, I would have probably um, opted for Trevon Morig just on talent. And that would be a horribly unpopular pick, but he is very, very good. But uh, yeah, the, the fact that, you know, I, it, it's tough. I, I love, I love Osai, but all, you know, so many people are convinced he's going to be around in the second round away, maybe around in the second round, maybe the Browns go up and get one of them. Um, but you know, I, I just, I don't feel as good about them as I do Elijah Moore. That's that's understandable. Um, so, oh, well, the second one was why not a trade back? But like you said, in that situation, you would probably much rather take Morick over trading back. For me, I guess. Well, look, I mean, trading back is it just depends. I mean, this if you were going to say, you know, if if somebody's coming up because they, you know, if if there's a quarterback they love, I don't really see one, or there's some player that they feel like they have to come in the first round for. Yeah, I'm listening. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. But I guess the question is, am I going to lose the the sort of the upper echelon talents in the process? You know, do, if, if I move down to, say, even, you know, pick 33, for example, um, you know, uh, Morig's I can't imagine he's not taken off the board. You know, uh, your receivers are taken off the board. So at that point, you're probably deciding between Osai or Owe or Rousseau. Um, maybe you're considering Melifonwu at that point. Maybe maybe they like Eric Stokes more than I do. Um, but that's the thing is is if I'm betting on if I'm just trying to add as much talent as I possibly can, um, I think Moore has the most of it. That's understandable. Um, I don't. I don't mind the situation of them trading back, kind of giving based off how this board falls. And I feel like a lot of the players on here will probably be gone within the like. I feel like our top twenty-four is pretty accurate of something that might happen. Obviously, you know, maybe a different team or a different place that a lot of these players go. But I feel like the top twenty-four is pretty accurate. And then in that situation, I think you kind of take the the value of who's going to contribute based off of who's left on the board and what you want to get out of the long term. Because they already have a lot of picks this year with nine, and you don't have room for nine players. But if you still think you can move down a few slots, you know, because we like one team just wants to jump someone else for a certain position, you know, I feel like you, you could take that. And if there's a situation of, like, Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore, um, I, I personally don't really want Kadarius Tony. Um I wouldn't mind moving down from one of those two players. So at 27, um, I really wanted to take Jason Owe, but you honestly, you sold me on uh, Trevon Morig. Oh, okay. Yeah. Look, I'll make the case for the Ravens. This, if he's there, he's the dream. There's their defense is predicated on their secondary 100%. Wink Martindale has all these great cover options. So then he could just send a million guys on the blitz. Um, the Earl Thomas thing went sideways, but you know, before that they had Eric Weddle, obviously, you know, a ways ago they had Ed Reed. They've got a really, really talented secondary. And if they want to get back there and Trevon Morgan is sitting there, I think they could, it would jump on him. 
to sort of reestablish that dominance uh, on the back end of the defense. Trevon Morrig is incredibly rangy. He can play different roles. Uh, he, he just has a ton of ability. And I don't rule out, uh, you know, if they don't get him, I, I, I fully expect they're going to take a safety at some point just to try to push that position and try to really get their, their secondary because that's, that's what makes them go. Yeah. If I guess for me too is when you look at the rest of the board. So at 29, you got the Packers and they need offensive tackle help, but I wouldn't necessarily want to reach in this situation, but I'm going to stick, I'm going to stick to my guns, you know, (laughs) and I know that you necessarily don't agree with just because the production is a big question mark from him, but I'm still going to take Jason Oway just because Calais Campbell has a significant cap hit this year. And then after next season, he's becomes a free agent. And then you have more of a question mark and you still have the option at 31 to either take more rig or another player, you know, if he's still on the board. So I'm going to take away to give the Ravens a little bit of, I should say insurance after Calais Campbell. That's fine. I mean, again, they blitz. So, I mean, if you send numbers and you have this, you know, freaky athlete and they don't account for it, you know, he's going to get home and do a lot of damage. So, you know, zero sacks doesn't scare me a ton, but he he is athletic. So, yeah, he can play the run, too. I feel like that's important. He does play the run. Like they play a a three, four. So he's going to be playing over the tackle or, you know, maybe a shade inside um, at times. And I think that's something that's going to kind of benefit him where he doesn't necessarily have to be that person to get double digit sacks because they usually use stand-up linebackers on the edge to get after the quarterback. Yeah. I mean, nothing says good draft pick like edge rusher who stops the run. Yeah. That's really what you're looking for. Not pass rush production. You want run stopping. <laughs> I like the sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. New Orleans saints. Uh, they're another team in a tough spot. Um, uh, by virtue of the fact that, uh, you know, the, the, the needs may not line up with what's available. They could absolutely take another receiver. Uh, and that's part of the reason, I, I, you know, I think if, if he was there, I think I would, I, I would take Elijah Moore here. Um, part of me is at least considering Rondale Moore. Um, but I think more likely, um, I think, oh, man, that's tough. Uh, I will take. Uh, Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, from Florida State. His testing, not as good as I would have liked, but he is a very good player right now. Um, and he was great against Deami Brown. Um, he was, he's was he been really good against top-level competition, uh, good tackler, smart, uh, just does a lot of things really well. So it wouldn't surprise me if they were to go this route um, so I, I'll go ahead and go that that way. Okay. Um, so now we're at 29, four picks left. Something about this, um, as I just look at the board, screams trade up from someone. Um, given the Packers and what they need, I don't think um, Alex Leatherwood out of Alabama is going to be the pick here. I still think they need a little bit 
more consistency out of that receiver room just because I think Marquez Valdez Scantling is a little bit inconsistent. Um, they have that one really tall dude, but I can't think of his last name. Um, dude, Equanimous St. Brown, <laughs> uh, the person that doesn't really make any plays after he got drafted. No, nah, it's the it's the other guy, number thirteen. I can't. Uh, Alan Lazard. Lazard, and he, I mean he's not that special. I mean he's a he's a bigger guy, but I feel like his down downfield tracking of the ball. It's like it's really hit or miss out of the few Packers games that I watched. Like he made some, he he. I don't want to say he made. He missed some plays he should have made. I mean when Aaron Rodgers is putting the ball straight in your hands and how big he is. Like sometimes you got to make some plays, but here or there he'll make some plays on the intermediate parts of the field. Um, but I also guess they don't really have that kind of gadget guy. Uh. If I'm going to bank on someone, I would go Rondell Moore, more over Kondarius Tony. I know there's some injury questions with Rondell Moore, but I like what the Packers could do with him. Um, but also, too, I wouldn't be surprised if it's actually Kondarius Tony if they're in a situation where they take a receiver. But I'm going to go Rondell Moore. I love Rondell Moore. Um, I think he's fantastic. I think he's better than Kadarius Tony. Um, I the guy stands out to me for the Packers just in the way they draft might be Cosme um, from Texas, just athletic freak type. Um, and they love taking those type of dudes for offensive line. But uh, Rondell Moore is fun to be sure. I mean, that's certainly the, the most fun option. Buffalo 30. Um, so um, the Bills, to me, the thing that has been screaming at them um, throughout the offseason uh, was edge. I mean, like, early on, it was like, you know, they're, they're in on, just, on J.J. Watt. There was talk that they were going to be in on uh, the uh, kid who ended up signing in Cincinnati. And then, you know, we haven't heard much. Trey Hendrickson. We haven't heard much about edge in a while. And I, I really do think that that's something that hurt them badly in the playoffs. They couldn't generate enough pressure against Patrick Mahomes. I think that's a huge issue for them. I think they're going to go ahead and try to correct it. Uh, so I'm going to have them take Joseph Asai from Texas. The only guy I would sort of keep an eye on just be, the way people are talking about him. I don't love him the way some people do. It might be Joe Tryon. He seems like he might be a Buffalo-ish type player, but Joseph Asai, just relentless motor guy, plays super hard. He's fast. Uh, and, and, you know, in the AFC uh, with so many guys who can create plays with their legs, he has the capacity to chase them down. So uh, I think he would fit in really nicely with what Buffalo wants to do. I think Bill's fans would absolutely adore him uh, once they get him on the field. Yeah. I think, uh, Maybe someone like Osai or Carlos Basham might be somebody that they take at 30. Like, I don't expect them to take, like, a uh, a Gregory Rousseau or uh, really anybody like that. Just because they already took A.J. Epinesa last year in the second round. And he's really that over-the-tackle um, defensive end that kind of kicks inside at times. So I think someone that's more kind of a stand-up rusher, a little bit smaller on the edge, could probably be a little bit more of their suit. Um, 31. 
So the Baltimore Ravens are on the board after trading Orlando Brown Jr. to the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, you might find it surprising because Trayvon Morrick is on the board. But I've seen him slide into the first round a lot more than I thought. Um, before I make this pick, do you think by any chance you know who this person might be at 31? Um, I know who... I know the guy that I have sort of considered. I've considered a couple guys for the Ravens that could make sense in the end of the first round. One is Ben Cleveland, the guard from Georgia. The other one that hasn't really been mentioned but could be a sneaky great pick for what the Ravens want to do is Pat Fryermuth, the tight end from Penn State. Because um, obviously they, they utilize their tight ends a ton and he's really talented. He just missed time because of the injury, um, massive body, all those things. But uh, yeah, like those are the guys that sort of jump out at me. Um, you know, you could take Barmore, I guess, but you know, I, I would take Trevor Morig in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would be surprised if the Ravens do take him. Uh, so this is going to be a surprise to some people, but since the Packers didn't take him at 29, I'm going to go Dylan Reddance out of North Dakota State. One, you need obviously need a, a tackle option um, now that you've traded Orlando Brown. And you're at the back end of round one. So, again, I still see a scenario where they trade back to the top of round two, someone. And if, I mean, in this situation, given that their picks are somewhat kind of close together. And I think you still could get him at the top of the second round, but since in this situation, there is no trade back. I get an answer at tackle and then address safety at 58 um, based off of whoever's left or receiver. Well, I mean, I, you know, Alejandro Villanueva is not a plan. Um, so, you know, that, that, that is not a, an unwise investment uh, on their part. I, I, That'd be fascinating if, if Morig is potentially now in a position to slide into the second round. Um, unless I end his slide right here with the uh, the Bucks. We really don't need a safety, but what would I take? I mean, they they theoretically could take you know a guy like Creed Humphrey if they want to get more in interior offensive line help in the form of a really good center. Uh, I don't know if I see that bar more is an option for them um, because they're getting so much older um, in that spot. But, you know, the, the two guys that sort of jump out at me are guys like Carlos Basham um, because I don't know if the the Packers or the the Bucks in this case are going to be that much wor that worried about age, um, and he he's obviously a tremendous prospect in terms of his production and his athleticism. So they may say he can help us win right this second. Uh, but the other guy, the talent's just too good. Uh, the Bucks are going to go ahead and take Trevon Morrig. Um, you know he's just a great player. He can help them right this second. Uh, they obviously have Antoine Winfield, um, but you know he, they can find a place for Morig. Um, you know, they can utilize him to 
take some pressure off of their corner position, whatever. Their DBs are already super cheap, but it doesn't matter. Trevon Borg is just too good, so they're going to take him. Fair enough. You made sure that your uh, your player made it within the first round. And again, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to the Ravens at 27 or 31 if they stay pat. Um, overall, I think the draft board um, fell relatively close to the, what I think is going to happen within the, like the top 24, I would say. In terms of the Browns, um, I feel like the biggest concerns, I want to say, for them at 26 is going to be what the Colts do at receiver, um, you know, in a situation that they do take Rashad Bateman. Because I actually tweeted this out right before we took the mock draft. And I said, I wanted to make this the worst case scenario for the Browns at 26. Um, because I, I, I know you have players in mind that best suits the bill of what the Browns need and also what makes them better in the short term and not just going strictly value. Um, and then once you took Caleb Farley off the board at 22, I feel like that was pretty much a telltale sign of they would, they would go receiver just because it, it seems like the best value for them versus taking someone like Jason Owe or Asai just because I think Peyton Turner would be a better value for them in the second round and getting a top receiver corner in the first. Yeah, I, look, I, I think if the Browns were to take a receiver at the end of the first round like this, then they're on the phone. Um, I think they will try to move up at that point um, and try to go get somebody like Peyton Turner. And, and, you know, I don't rule out the possibility, however small, that Peyton Turner crashes the first round and they're just like, nope, we want him uh, just because he fits. But it just in terms of maximizing talent, I don't see it. So, yeah, I think – you know, if Rashad Bateman was there, in this case, Elijah Moore, I'm not, you know, it's tough. I'm not sure which one I love more uh, in, in in between these two. They're both fantastic players. Um, but I do think the second that happens, the Bronzer are, are on the phone trying to get in position to make sure they can knock out uh, edge rusher and corner. Um, depending on how they feel about those players and how likely they feel it is that they'll be able to be there at 59. But that's that becomes the the big issue is, you know, everybody's excited about getting a player like Rashad Bateman or Elijah Moore, where most people are, but they're, you know, at the same time, even if you love those two players, you're sitting there going, okay, but how are we going to deal with these other problems? And I think, you know, until the the rest of the draft starts shaping out, you're going to be a little bit nervous about how they're going to be at those two positions. The other, the flip side of that is, you know, if they take a player like Rashad Bateman or Elijah Moore um, with that first you know, with that first round pick, you know, it's not impossible that they could, you know, try to make a play for Rashad or for Stefan Gilmore and and see if they, you know, they, they want that veteran um, option instead. So they've got, you know, a lot of options, which is what the Browns love anyway. They love giving themselves different ways to do things and finding the best way to execute. Um, I'm fascinated to see you know, how they really feel about some of these players. You, you Jason Owe, obviously a fascinating one. I'm still, you know, I'm still hung up on the idea that I have a really difficult time for a team going into a press conference, other than maybe the Ravens, since they've got two picks and being like, yep, pass rusher. And everybody's immediately raising their hands. How many sacks did he have last year? None. I, I just, that, that seems difficult for me. Um, so we'll see. 
I, I, I do like his fit with the Ravens. Um, so, you know, overall, I'm sure this thing is a disaster. Um, I probably screwed it all up by taking Trey Lance at four, but nevertheless, I do think that would be a better, wiser pick and the Falcons can start looking towards the future. But the, the nightmare scenario, I, I think Browns fans have to embrace the fact that JC Horn and Patrick Sertan are gone. Forget it. They're not getting them. Um, there's no trade-up scenario. There's no nothing. And if those guys go early, then, you know, it only takes one team to sort of, if you even think it's a reach to take a, uh, take a, a Greg Newsom. And then, you know, it only takes one team to be comfortable with Caleb Farley's medical and those guys are immediately gone. And then you're sitting there at 26 and you don't love the options that are there as much. Yeah. I think once the Cardinals take Newsom or someone at 16, then I think the pressure starts to dial up a little bit in terms of if you really want a corner, you know, draft one is you, you have to move up at, at least in front of, um, the Titans, at least at, at, at bare minimum, um, you know, if given that someone else isn't moving up, but just given what the, you know, what the Bears and Washington needs, I feel like 21 is kind of that sweet spot in terms of if you want to trade up for someone, if say Caleb Farley or Greg Newsom falls a little bit f- further, because I wouldn't be surprised if JC Horn goes to the Eagles. Um, uh, again, I just feel our top 24 is pretty accurate of the players that's going to go. Obviously, the draft slot in the team may change, but those top 24, I, I feel like are, are, or I don't want to say top 24, maybe top 20 is a, is a pretty guaranteed lock. Um, so two questions before we head out of here. Cornerback, obviously there was the rumors of potentially getting Marshawn Lattimore. Given the whole police arrest and everything, do you think he's still an option for the Browns on draft night? Oh, well, I, I don't, I don't think it would happen on draft night. No. Um, I think it would happen after the fact. Um, I, I, I don't think there will be enough time this week to sort of get to the bottom of everything. I don't know if police have gotten to the bottom of everything. I think that's more of a later in the off season, um, maybe right before training camp. And, and all of that depends on the Browns, Finding out what they find out about Lattimore, the Saints actually wanting to deal about it, deal him um, as a potential cap relief move. Um, but if the Browns delve into it and they're comfortable that the whole thing is sort of like, you know, something stupid and relatively small in terms of receiving stolen property, um, which can, which is a wide range of things, um, it would seem like a knuckleheaded move as opposed to a bad person move if there's something more to it then you know then then the answer is going to be no um it doesn't sound like there's anything coming of this but we'll see i i, I think this the, i don't know if the saints love the idea that they're hooked locked in at, at the 10.4 million dollar price tag this year um with the decision on his future but never but that doesn't mean he's not a talented corner uh that that would be fantastic in the scheme yeah um it's a it's a definitely a situation to monitor um i think it'll also be tough for them to make a move by draft day if there was a player that they traded for you've already kind of mentioned it stefan gilmore i believe would be that player if they're trading potentially pick 91 or 89 to the patriots for gilmore 
maybe like a late round pick. Um, second question. In the situation that there is a trade down, what do you think is a sweet spot in terms of the early second round that they would need to move to where they still can get a, a top player to produ- uh, to contribute this season? Uh, it depends. It, it, it really depends on where they view the next set of corners edge rushers, and then if there's a receiver that they think they love more than other people, and I don't think this would be the guy, but just for example, Terrace Marshall, you know, if they, they feel like getting to the top of the second round or, you know, getting to the top of the second round would position them to, to get some extra assets, potentially to trade up with one of those other picks. Um, maybe I don't have a, a good, that's the thing is I, I think they're largely stuck at 26, I don't think there's enough teams in the market to move up. And I don't think um, the Browns necessarily want to get out of position to trade down. Um, if they're still trying to just make sure they get talent, um, you know, the, 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 the ifs and buts are, you know, how do they feel about Christian Barmore? Do they, do they like him more than I do? If they do, then maybe they want to get in position down a few spots where they feel like it's a good spot to take him. Um, but overall, I, I keep having a, I have a really difficult time seeing them do anything but sit there 26 as much as people might want them to move down. There's no, you know, I don't see a quarterback um, that anybody's moving up for. With the possible exception, if we go nuts and Mac Jones is, you know, falling out and somebody wants to come up and get him, which I don't think is all that insane of a theory because I just, I don't get it. But, um, like there's no next guy. Like I don't see Kellen Mond being a guy where people are going, nope, got to get up and get that fifth year for him. Or Jamie Newman, who's sneaky old or the, the kid from uh, Stanford as a Davis, Davis Mills. Bill. Yeah. Like I, I don't see that guy where teams feel like they have to go up and get that fifth year. And maybe I'm dead wrong. And there's a team that, does, but I, it, you know, I don't know if that team wants to go all the way up to 26 to do it. Uh, the Ravens might be a team that wants to trade down uh, with having the two picks. The Bucks might want to trade down. Like some of these other teams that are behind the Browns but still in the first round may be better trade partners to make such a move. Yeah, if there's a situation that the Browns do trade down, I would probably say there will be sliding down a few slots, potentially 28, 29, probably 30 at the um, at the latest, depending on how their draft board goes. There was the press conference that – Andrew Barry had early la- or later last week talking about their draft board and potentially 114 players that could fit the bill of what they need. And then, of course, priority free agents is going to be huge for them. So the draft is quickly approaching. It's going to be this Thursday here in Cleveland. A lot of people are excited as they should be. Um, that is our 2021 NFL mock draft between Sean Stevenson and Pete Smith with Sports Illustrated Browns Digest. Some of the interesting names that happened in this draft. Justin Fields at three, Trey Lance at four, a huge explosion. Um, The Cincinnati Bengals taking Kyle Pitts at five. Then you see a situation where Mac Jones slides to 15 to the Patriots. And then, of course, the Cleveland Browns take Elijah Moore with Rashad Bateman off the board at 21 to the Indianapolis Colts. So I want to thank you guys again for checking out episode seven of the Browns Digest podcast. We will be back the following week after the draft to break down who the Browns drafted, some of their priority free agents, 
And of course, make sure you guys stay tuned to Sports Illustrated Browns Digest for everything Browns, especially for the draft and draft week as we break down the players that the team picked up. Pete, thank you again, and we will see you guys next time.